Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Peter Knoll, General Manager and CEO at WLJT-TV Channel 11, West Tennessee PBS. Peter has worked in the television industry for the past 28 years, a journey that has taken him to 11 television stations, 8 states, 11 cities, and includes working for the Walt Disney Company at the ABC Network in Burbank as the Director of Affiliate Marketing and Promotion. Prior to Peter's position at West Tennessee PBS, he was at WNBJ, West Tennessee's local NBC and CW stations, where he served as station manager since 2018, as well as the Group Director of Marketing and Promotions for Coastal Television, the station's parent company. Beginning as a newscast producer for six years and then moving into marketing and promotions, Peter eventually moved into management and group marketing. A lifelong viewer of PBS, beginning with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a small boy, he regularly enjoys Frontline, Anything Kim Burns Produces, and Masterpiece Theater. A believer in lifelong learning, he earned his undergraduate degree in journalism from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, and a Master's of Organizational Leadership from Woodbury University in Burbank, California. Peter is a Minnesota native, but has quickly fallen in love with West Tennessee and is very proud to call it his home. Good morning, Peter, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here, Mary. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Will you tell us about your work history? Yes, um, I am in my uh, 29th year of working full-time after I graduated from college. Um, For 29 years, I've been um, in the uh, television industry. Um, I've worked at, I think, maybe 13 different TV stations across the country from East Coast time zone to West Coast time zone and everywhere in between, from South Dakota to Houston, Texas. So sort of runs the gamut of the country. I also had the opportunity to work in the network level to sort of look at television from the network perspective. I've always been at affiliate television stations. And um, so I had the opportunity to work in Los Angeles at um, ABC, which is part of Disney at their um, headquarters in Burbank, California for five years. What kind of jobs have you done in TV? Um, I started out as a newscast producer and you're like, well, what do they do? A newscast producer is basically, they write, they sort of are, for lack of a better words, they're sort of the coordinator of the newscast. They pick out what the top story is and they write the stories and work with the reporters and the anchors on the assignment desk on putting together that half hour, hour long newscast, um, working with the graphics department and the reporters and the editors and sort of you're sort of in charge of that show. So it's a lot of discretion. It, it can be very fast paced, sometimes high pressure because it's a live program that you do every single day. And so that's what I started out doing for six years. And there were some bumps along the way. And I thought, oh, is this it? I was a little bored. Um, I had worked at several stations and then a general manager said, you know, when you write the teases, you know, here's what's coming up. You really seem to like that. Have you ever thought about going into promotions and marketing? I'm like, no, I'm a journalism. I have a journalist degree. I'm a journalist. And they said, well, it's sort of like being a journalist, but you just write, you, you, you tell people what's coming up on the news. So I sort of went into promotions and sort of took to it like a fish to water. I'd never thought about it. Sort of like those opportunities where you don't think about something until Somebody, that little, that little whisper in your ear, tried to learn to listen to those a lot more in my life. And so I went into promotions and sort of loved it. Six months later, he had sent off some promos, 
some commercials, you know, promoting the news that I had done um, to our, uh, the same company owned a station in Houston. So I moved down to Houston. I never thought about living in Houston, but he's like, trust me, you'll love it. And I did. It was fun for three years. A lot of great experiences. And then I sort of wanted to get into management and an opportunity. Um, I always tell everyone I was interviewing for a job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with the Hearst Corporation and they uh, for a TV station they had there. But they said, oh, the job we sort of already have our candidate, but wanted to listen and meet with you. Are you interested in anything else? I'm always interested in good opportunities. So they said, well, we have an assistant promotion manager job in Sacramento. And I'm like, yeah. So I went to Sacramento and was there two years. And then the consultants there said, hey, we work with a station with Scripps in Tulsa. And you worked in that market already. Would you want to go work at the NBC station there? Certainly. So I was with there. You know, everything always, you know, it's always who you know um, and, you know, networking and being open to opportunities. And I've always gone where the work is. I've never said I want to live in this city. And this is the only place I want to live because then I wouldn't have had any of these jobs. And so then I sort of uh, got into management and uh, my last place before I went to the network was in Cleveland, Ohio. I was just feeling burned out. I was the marketing director at the ABC station in Cleveland, Ohio. I'd worked for some really interesting people and you just sort of like, I need, I need, I need to change. And I was going to get out. I'm, I was done with TV. And then I got a call from ABC because my time at ABC, I served on their marketing advisory board. And um, ABC, uh, the vice president called and said, hey, would you ever move to Los Angeles and work for the network? Never thought about that. But that was a big move going from Cleveland, Ohio to Los Angeles. And, um, you know, for those of you that have lived on the coast, like in Florida or California, it's they pay in sunshine sometimes. They don't always pay in cash. You know, the least desirable city, the more they got to pay to get you there. But um, we thought uh, the opportunity to work at the network in Los Angeles with Disney was great. So we took a little bit of a pay cut. And then if you factor in cost of living to Los Angeles, we were like crazy. But we thought it was worth it. So we did. And it was great. The first year was a little tough as we were adjusting and figuring everything out. My spouse calls it the year of sacrifice. Anyway, so we did that and that was fun. I learned a lot. My job at ABC was I was the director of affiliate marketing. So our department worked with all the stations. So if stations um, had a request like, hey, we have a local person that's a big football star and they're going to be on Dancing with the Stars. We want to send a news crew to Los Angeles to go to the tapings. So I would have to meet them there, escort them there, coordinate that whole thing. And the same like, hey, we want to send a crew to go behind the scenes of Jimmy Kimmel Live. So then I would have to meet them at Jimmy Kimmel Live. And so it was, um, you know, complaints like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to go. I hate going to Dancing with the Stars. It's such, you know, and then you would tell friends or family like, yes, your life is very tough, Peter. But um, there was a saying when I was there, they said the pixie dust of Disney wears off after about a year and a half. And it's very true. It became a job. Scripps, who I'd been with before, came in and they talked to me and said, hey, would you ever come back to working at a station? We have a vice president GM job opening in Bakersfield. And, you know, Bakersfield doesn't have the best reputation in California, but it's an opportunity to be a general manager. So I thought, yes, let's do it. Um, So uh, after five years with ABC Disney, I moved uh, a little north to Bakersfield and was a general manager there. And as happens at TV stations, they came in after almost a year and wanted to make some changes. And so they sort of replaced all the department heads. And uh, I found myself for the first time in my life without a job. And that was one of the best things to ever happen to me. 
when I look back at the last 20, you know, how many years not working for a year was great. I loved it. I prefer not to work. I wish I didn't have to work, but that was, it was a great experience for me. I realized that my job is not me and the job is not, you know, my whole life and it, it doesn't make up my whole being. So many people are so connected with their job that when that job goes away, they don't even know, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it was a great year. It was a great year. But as they say, the, you know, as um, cousin Eddie on uh, Christmas vacation said, the gas money gave out in Gurney, um, we had to get a job. So I knew I had 12 months and I looked everywhere. I was looking hard, but not at TV. I was, I was getting like second and third interviews at like for a Walmart corporate job or even some Native American casinos and like rural parts of Oklahoma, just, you know, you know, um, the carrot company, you know, those baby carrots, they're all made in Bakersfield. Look at any baby carrot bag and it will say Bakersfield. Um, you know, they had a marketing job. I was just looking at everything, nothing, you know, I never got to that final, here's the job offer. But in the end, the, the God whisper came back into my ear. There were friends that would email me this job for, uh, this, they said, did you see this job? It's like perfect for you. It's a group marketing promotions director for this growing small company. And I'm like, yes, it's in Mississippi. I've seen the movie Mississippi burning and I'm not moving there. But then like the fourth friend that sent me the job description said, they wrote this for you, right? I said, okay, I applied. I, I was getting a God whisper and I wasn't listening. So I, uh, you know, sent my resume, they called, flew me down there. And I think Within two to three minutes after you go to a new place, to a job interview, you have that gut feeling, that first inclination. Yes, I could work with these people or ooh, it repels you. I really liked it. It was a great experience. So, I mean, right before he, the owner of the company said, hey, I'm about to make an offer, but I just want to make sure you and your spouse know this is in Meridian, Mississippi. And I said, yes. So it was like 35,000 people, no Target, no Starbucks, but it was, it was a great experience. You know, they say life's in a journey and that's sort of how I've taken it. I mean, I have lived in towns that I never thought I would live in and I've never paid a penny to move. Somebody else has always flipped the uh, moving bill. Um, so that's, I've been blessed that way. Then Meridian for a year. And then that same owner said, Hey, we need you to move to Jackson, Tennessee to uh, take over our uh, NBC affiliate there. And that's what brought us to Jackson, Tennessee. I mean, seven years ago, I had never heard of Jackson, Tennessee or West Tennessee ever. And um, I was there five years. And then I got another God whisper. I said, hey, have you ever thought about working at PBS, the PBS station here? Um, they, they have an opening. And uh, lo and behold, I started a new job. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have to move. Every other time I got a new job, I had to pick up your life and move which anyone who has done that knows how much work it is. So after what, doing it for 13 times, when you're young and your life fits in a minivan, you'll, you'll go anywhere and it's sort of adventuresome. But now you're married, you got so much stuff and it's just stuff, but you gotta, you know, everything you own has to be put into a box and moved. Yeah. It's a little daunting. Peter, with all of your a variety of work experiences and places and locations and fields really that you've worked mm -hmm. in. When you think over your history of work, what stands out as the best situation for you? And what was it that was so good? Um, I, I really look back and it's having, you know, there's times where you just feel that everyone was clicking. 
I think you really have to respect the person you're working for. And, you know, when I look back to that boss, he was a general manager in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It, we really, I, I respected him and he respected me and gave me autonomy. Um, I learned so much from him and we're still friends to this day. It was just, you know, and he gave me the freedom to do things. I kept him updated and I, we worked our butts off, but we had fun. And, you know, my team, he was, it allowed me to create a great team that was very cohesive. The time with him, it didn't start out that great. I mean, there was a time when I was like, well, I'm going to find a new job. You know, he isn't, you know, whenever you're working someplace and a new boss comes in, that's not the person that hired you, you know? So you have to make a decision. You, it's, you sort of do this dance. What are they about? Here's what I'm about. What, what is this going to gel? They, they're the new boss. So you either decide to yourself, I can work for this person and I can enjoy it, or this isn't what I signed up for. And then you can move on. But don't think you need to sit there and, you know, those people that like, oh, I'm going to outlast. It just, it's always horrible. Yeah. You know, one thing that you said, I think is interesting. And I, a lot of people experience this is a good boss is someone who gives you a lot of freedom and the ability to create. And also, as you said, work hard. So your boss isn't just giving you freedom, but he was also working hard alongside you. Yeah. But sometimes we have bosses that, give you so much freedom that you don't know where they are. You know, it's like so hands off that am I doing the right kinds of things is, and there's a lack of communication. So how did this yeah. boss ride that balance of giving you freedom and empowering you, but still being present? Um, you know, I think it was, I had a mentor who's like, you know, check in with your boss every day, make sure you have that FaceTime. You may think, oh, it's just browning. No, it's just checking in. Hey, how's it going? Here's what I'm working on. How's it going? Just so they know what you're up to. You know, no surprises. Keep your boss updated. Uh, you know, I'm a Midwesterner by birth, a Minnesota person. And one of the things, it's like being braggadocious, you know, bragging about yourself. But that's sort of like merchandising what you've done. And that's, you know, it's taken a lot. Like even the posts on LinkedIn and Facebook where people are like, congratulations to me, I got this job. It just makes my skin crawl. But that's sort of, it's a whole different world now. Um, so I've sort of had to do that. And sometimes in the corporate world, you have to really learn how to not brag about yourself, but merchandise what you've done. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of like, um, there. I had one boss, I remember not, he didn't talk to me for like two or three weeks. He didn't talk to anyone in the department. We were just doing our thing. And it was just like, I, I realized I need to have some sort of interaction. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of freedom and I don't like micromanagers, but I do need to know that they care. Yeah. You know, like, Hey, this is my plan. Is this working in with your overall plan? Right. And I think with the, within that structure comes the freedom because mm -hmm. we have had those bosses who say, yeah, do whatever you want. And then they don't check in with us and we don't know. And it, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, guess their mind instead mm -hmm. of checking in regularly and letting the person know, letting your boss know what you're up to. I too also have that problem of um, talking about myself. And when I go to events, I take pictures of me speaking or whatever, mm -hmm. and then I post about it and I partly gag. And then I get over myself and say, well, if I want to be in this business, this is what I need to do. Like you yes. said, this is the time, the age that you're in of social media. And so you 
you gotta read the times, read the room and act accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, depending on where you are in your career, I got to the point, especially when I got to be more choosy, I would always ask, what's your management style? And, you know, I mean, the gentleman that hired me, the owner of the company that I was at previously, you know, he said, I am not a micromanager. I like to give people, you know, a big picture and let you do, do what you want, you know, sort of, I, you know, based on results. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, well, that's how I sort of like to work. You know, I don't like to have to be, I don't like to have to show my work. Mm -hmm. Jeremy, what's the end goal? And are there any, you know, you know, side things, you know, that I need to be aware of and let, let, let me go during that time. When I was at that company, we sort of carried that philosophy of leadership on with our team. I worked with my general sales manager and, you know, if our sales team were hitting their budget numbers, great, keep doing it. We're not going to get up all in your business. Um, but if you're not hitting your sales numbers every month, that's when we get a little bit more involved because that's how we were being treated by the owners. If we were hitting our station's numbers, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Not a lot of oversight. Yeah. So, and we loved that. We were hitting numbers and, you know, we didn't have to check in and, you know, account for every penny we spent. I mean, we truly, you know, we budgeted stuff that made sense for the, the station and the company and the owners. But we didn't have to check, hey, can we have, uh, you know, do this for clients or can we do this or can we do that? We just did it, you know, because we were hitting our numbers. It's when you're not, you're not reaching the goals. That's when they get involved in your process. And if people are reaching their goals, I'm really, I, to this day, I don't need to be involved in every little aspect of that. Some people don't, are not like that. And, you know, there's, there's some organizations that I've been at or that when I come in, I like give a lot of freedom and they're used to having to check in and check back and all that. And it's sort of a, sort of a paradigm shift for them because they're used to having to check in and they're so afraid of screwing up in the new world, especially, you know, now that I've been in smaller areas, smaller teams we're all sort of moving so fast and everyone does a little bit of everything. They're so worried to have everything be perfect. It doesn't need to be, it just needs to be good enough. And then we move on. Certainly your big priority things you, you want to be perfect, but you know, to spend um, hours and hours over one Facebook post, please come on, let's go. You know, it's like, we need to move on. It's sort of that figuring out what I need, to, what I need to spend the extra time with. Um, it's sort of like with um, when I've supervised and led uh, promotion producers in television, you know, we would promote what we call teases, topical promos for the, what's coming up that night on the news, how your iced tea could kill you tonight at 10, you know, things like that. Um, they would work so hard on that. And I said, remember, this is only going to air two times. Now, if you're working on more of a generic branding commercial that's going to air for six months put in a lot of time, but it's like, don't lose any sleep over something that's going to air once or twice. And that's sort of like trying to teach people that difference between this is good enough. And I think, especially for a lot of younger people coming out of college, that's a hard concept for them to grasp because yeah. they're so afraid of getting it right and being perfect. Life is not perfect. No one's yeah. perfect. I'm not expecting anyone to be perfect. Sometimes it's good enough. 
And, and as a leader, you need to realize people are going to do stuff much differently than you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Could that have been better? Yes. But they need to do that themselves because you don't have the time to do everything. So Peter, as you're talking, I think about how you have evolved and changed over the past almost 30 years of professional work and the kinds of questions you ask now when you go into a place of employment and, and your even philosophy of leadership, it sounds like. But when you think about when you first entered the workforce and your know, freedom sounds wonderful, but if you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing and you don't have decades under your belt, do you have any advice for people who are just starting out and mm -hmm. maybe they find themselves with a leader like yourself who gives them the big picture and says, go and do it? Yeah, I know that's a good question. And, um, you know, I think it's really reaching out and asking for help, reaching out and asking, not necessarily your boss or your supervisor, but other people. And it's not a sign of weakness or like, I don't know how to do this job. It's, I, I, I'm just looking for the best way to do it. Um, it's a lot of times, there's always somebody doing your job somewhere else or something else. You know, I mean, talk to people and, you know, really network. Yeah. Um, that's the advice I give. You know, it's like, hey, how are they doing at other station? Oh, I never called. Okay, well, maybe call and see how they do it. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, hey, can I spend a day job shadowing at another station? Um, I, I, you know, or job shadowing another job. Really ask for help. Find out how other people are doing it. You know, I'll be yeah. very honest. I'm, I'm new at um, uh, WLJT, Channel 11, West Tennessee PBS. And it's a small station. And I'm trying to figure out the whole world of PBS and, you know, how they're structured, how they operate. So I've really been reaching and speaking a lot to other general managers, uh, you know, especially ones at smaller markets, you know, because, yeah, I can talk to, you know, the great general manager in Nashville or Memphis, but those are bigger cities than, you know, Jackson, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, always sort of trying to, I'm a constant student of learning. I always like, like to read articles and, you know, any time I worked for a company that had education reimbursement, I was taking a class. I, I just think that's great. And that's a great benefit. And, you know, yeah. When you graduate, you've just begun your journey of learning. Exactly. You need to continually upskill yep. and learn. And I love what you said about networking with peers, because I think a lot of times when you're new, you think my boss has the answers. I need to do what my boss wants. So I'm going to go ask my boss, <laughs> but then to the boss, it's a burden because they hired you to do a job. And so yep. One piece of advice is if you haven't already Googled it, don't go ask, but we can do more than Google because there's so many peers, either where we are at the job. And then, as you said, people who are in similar jobs to find out what they're doing. And then yeah. not that you can't go to your boss, but really figure out strategically what to go to your boss with and when to go and be yeah. thought, be thoughtful about that. And, and there's one thing that I learned early on was never go into your boss with a problem or question that you don't have a solution to. You may not know what the solution is, but you should have, hey, here's a situation I wanted to bring you aware. Here's my recommendation, but I think it's big enough that I brought it to your attention. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if somebody comes to me and it's like, well, what do you think we should do? And if they look at me like they haven't even thought about it, well, go think about it. And when you have an idea, come back. Yeah. And don't ask questions that you shouldn't be able to find yourself like hey what's this meeting about 
Okay, I already sent that to you. Because I mean, I you know, a lot of bosses are moving 75 bazillion miles a minute. And for us to like, okay, you need to learn how to look at past emails. You know, I mean, I would love, and I know I could make a killing doing uh, email reading, writing and retention seminar for employees. You know, I mean, we really think it's funny, but I, I don't even know how many hours of time I've spent having to relay information that was in an email. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, the whole world, um, they're not teaching like the basics of communication. You know, they're coming out with four or many times now five or six years. And I mean, they're spending $50,000 a year at some schools. And it's like, they don't know how to answer a phone in the place mm -hmm. of work. Yeah. That's sort of shocking to me. Mentioning communication, uh, a lot of conflicts come about in a workplace due to some sort of miscommunication, not understanding different people's communication styles. And when you think about being brand new in a workplace and the kinds of places that you have worked are, are fast paced. And especially when you talk about trying to decide what's going to be on the news, there's going to be a lot of conflict because of maybe not even communication, but values, uh, what you think is important versus what somebody else thinks is important. Can you think of a time that you had um, a disagreement or continued disagreements with a colleague, but you were able to come to an understanding and move past maybe even ill will and actually work with that person? Can you talk to us about how you got past those issues to mm -hmm. actually partner with that person? Sure. Um, I'm just trying to think, you know, when you're a producer, you first, you come out of college and you, you, you did like journalism, ethics and communication and all this deep ethics and press law and society. And then you get to the real world and it's like, oh, 70% of my job is making sure the anchors are happy. It's talent management. Uh, screw what a good lead is and how to write a sentence or, you know, being a great journalist, I have to keep them happy. And, um, and not always the case, but it's, it's really, it, that taught me a lot about being able to manage people. Everyone's got their big things. And so you've sort of got to know what everyone's um, currency is. And what I mean by that is, you know, some people, they want to always know that they're getting the equal amount of FaceTime during a newscast as the other person. And that the other person is not reading more stories or getting more on-camera reads than they are to the point where they will actually go and time out the amount of seconds of FaceTime they've had. So that's their currency. Um, some people just want a business card. Some people, that's their currency as a business card. Or maybe it's a title. Um, but everyone's got that currency that is important to them. And I think that's where you have to really be, you know, talk to people and find out what's important to them. Does that make sense? I just, I really feel that because I've had several differences with, you know, different coworkers and stuff. Um, and I've had to, you know, manage workplace where people don't get along. And I tell people, it's like, you don't need to be best friends with everyone you work with. Um, but you do need to be respectful. Yeah. Um, and don't think, you know, because a lot of people will come to their place of work from college or from a great work environment where they were friends with everyone. And then there'll be, it's like, oh, they're not nice to me or they don't like me. You know, I don't care who likes them or who likes you or that, because this isn't seventh grade. 
and we're not trying to plan uh, who's getting invited over for the sleepovers this weekend. We, we all have a job to do and um, we need to be respectful, but it, we're not about, you know, friendships here. I know that sounds cold and you will end up making some friends at work, but don't feel like I need to be friends with everyone. Everyone needs to like me. Um, I was having that conversation with an employee recently about, you know, they're so concerned on making sure everyone likes them. It's like, I gave that up long ago. I don't care if people like me or don't like me. I want them to feel that I am respectful of everyone. Um, but whether they like me or not, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And that's fine. Not everyone is. But you get to that point in your life where it's like, I'm just trying to be a good person and do a good job. And, you know, maybe some people are going to like that and some people aren't. Yeah. Yeah, I think ex expectation is king. You know, what do we expect? And I think it is difficult to move from an environment where, you know, that sometimes you work with people and it is just this wonderful, it feels like a group friends and there's kismet and people just really mesh. And then it, somebody leaves and the chemistry changes or you leave and you go to a different set of chemistry. And, and I think it's really important to check our own expectations. What is work? What am I expecting from those relationships? How can I be productive without having these people come over for Thanksgiving meal or be my best friend and yet still treat people with respect, make it so that they trust me, that I treat everybody fairly. So we can have these really rigorous set of like what it means to be professional. And within that, we can find some great relationships that maybe don't actually become friends, but work friends. So and work mm -hmm. friends are really you know, important. And even if someone's not your work friend, they are still your colleague and everything is going to be much better for you if they feel like you respect them. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, it's, it's, I was explaining to somebody who had not moved around. They've lived in the same town their whole life. And I think they maybe had three jobs their whole life. And, you know, they said, well, I'll be friends with all of you, you know, no matter what. Oh, that's a little naive because I've moved around a lot and worked at a lot of places and there's, you know, I can maybe count on a hand, a number of people that I still talk to that I consider a friend. I mean, there's acquaintances and past coworkers, but people that you call and it's like, oh my gosh, you're not gonna believe what happened today. You know, those, those, those people are so rare mm -hmm. um, because I have moved on. Um, and, you know, at this point in time we're working great together and i really like you and you're respectful and you're a great employee but if we no longer have this job these jobs in common we'll probably never speak again i mean that's very cold but it's very honest it is honest i mean even you know what as adults with full lives even our friends um that are real friends but whether we've worked with them are working or have never worked with them many of us don't have time for them uh, yeah. Because it's just the business of work and maintaining your house, doing mm -hmm. the dishes, going yeah. shopping. Yeah. Uh, and then if you're married or have any kind of extended family obligations. And I, you know, I'm married now, but when I first started in television, um, my second job was as a 10 PM. I did the six and 10 PM news. So I went in at one o'clock every day, one or one thirty, And then I worked. And what that meant is it was really hard for me to make any friends in that town because I worked every single night. I had Saturday nights and Sunday nights that I didn't have to work every, I couldn't go to dinner with anyone, couldn't go to the movies, you know, during the week. I mean, so that's, it was hard. I, uh, I was lucky enough to have a career path 
that I never had to work the overnight shift and I never had to work weekends. You know, I did add, you know, I filled in cause somebody was sick and then somebody was at a funeral. So I did do an overnight shift for a week and that was horrible. I realized for myself, I could never, I mean, your alarm's going off at 1130 PM to go to work. I would like cry by day two or three. I would like start crying because I didn't want to go. I mean, it was just horrible. And then they're like, oh my gosh, can you do it next week? I'm like, no, everyone needs to take their turn. This is horrible. I'd go sell shoes at JCPenney before I did this again. This is not good. I, I was a newscast producer and they're, they're, they, to this day, it's still a very, not a lot of people want to do it because it's a lot of pain and not a lot of glory. But I, I would get, I got, I would say cocky because news directors would call me and say, hey, I know you're in Tulsa, but I got a great job in uh, Kansas City. Uh, are you interested? I'm like, well, what? Well, tell me about it. Well, it's a weekend producer. Da, da, da. Well, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm not working weekends. Uh, that's, I'm not working weekends. Sorry. Um, you know, you just got to the point where you could pick, oh, I don't want to work weekends. I sort of like my uh, noon show. I come in at seven and I'm done by three or four, you know. Uh, but you have to that it's that whole work-life balance and you know I would sacrifice anything when I first started but now I'm married I don't need more friends some people their job is their social outlet and they're they're there for friendships not me Mm -mm, sorry is that awful I mean I'm 51 now married for almost 20 years we just I don't don't need a lot of excitement I mean Netflix and Olive Garden we're sort of good for the night You know, that's not awful, but it definitely can sound harsh, right? Depending on, as you said, what people show up for work for so many different reasons. Yep. I mean, most of us are there because we do need a pay- paycheck, but we're at that particular place for a variety of reasons. We want to be there. We feel stuck. It's our passion. It's just something we fell into and we have all these different kinds of needs. So it's no wonder that we do have conflict in our organizations and we know that when we can all work together, even though conflict arises, which is normal, but when we've learned how to work together through that, we have a much better work environment, more productive, and we have a better work-life balance and we are all more fulfilled. But when it's toxic and when we're walking on eggshells because we have to be concerned about this person's personality and that person's personality. Can you tell us about a time that was personally difficult for you where maybe you had a conflict with somebody that was unable to be resolved or. Um... Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, without getting into too specific, I mean, there's times where I, you know, I had a job and it was, I mean, at the time when you're living in it, you're just like, Oh my gosh, my boss is crazy. You know, this place is just, I hate it. You know, da, da, da. you don't even know how serious it is. Now I go back and I look at emails from that time period. I was trying to get an old computer working and it had the old email account. And it was shocking to me. I mean, I probably was borderline depression, but you were living it. You didn't even know. And so I think people have a choice to make. I can either stay here and try and make it work or I can figure out what my plan is to not be here. And it's easy for someone who has picked up their life and moved across the country multiple times than people that, you know, they've got kids in school. They've got, you know, a elderly parent. I know that was a luxury that I've always had. You know, I've only bought a house one time in my life. 
And from then on, we've always rented because we can pick up and leave. When you've got a mortgage payment, you need to sell a house. It's like these chains of weights on your legs. So I always tell people, if you don't like the situation you're in, figure out how you're going to get out of it. Or either you can make that situation work or you can't, but don't stay depressed. That's not going to be good. Um, and, and really realize that, you know, you got into a situation, a work environment because you thought X, Y, and Z. Well, then Z changed. Maybe you got a new boss, new owners came in, or it wasn't, you know, Y wasn't what you thought it was. I mean, there's a lot of bait and switching going on there um, with jobs. They always put the big, you know, they always bring out the best. I mean, when you send your references, you always pick people that are going to think you're the best things and sliced bread. They're going to do that too. So sometimes a job isn't everything you thought it was going to be. And at that point you think, okay, can I learn from this? Because I've been in some bad situations. I'm like, okay, what am I learning from this? Because you can always learn from a bad boss too, you know? Um, because, you know, as my mom always said, life isn't fair. The fair only comes once around in the summer. Are you, you know, not to be a quitter, you know, that old, don't be a quitter, you know, but sometimes, you know, you need to quit. I mean, you need to move on. Yeah. Um, but before you do have that plan ready Yeah. and keep it to yourself, you know, so many people I'm looking for a job da, 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 that does not help a situation in the workplace. Either you can learn to live with this and, and be okay and adapt, or you should move on yeah. and figure out what that plan is. And it's always better to, you know, uh, it's always easier to find a job when you have a job mm -hmm. so many times. Um, I had a professor in college way back in like 93 or four that said, um, you know, you should all start a screw you fund. And it's, you know, you'll start out at, you know, $3 a month or five, you know, just a little bit, but it will grow and you keep that fun. So when a boss asks you to do something that you know is wrong, or you just can't, this is ethically, morally against what I believe in. And you're like, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, okay, you're fired that, you know, or, you know, that's screw you know, where you just, you need to be out of that situation. And, you know, I wish I had, you know, started saving $5 a month when I graduated. I didn't do that, but. Um, it's a, it's been, good advice. It is great, great advice because not everyone's going to have your same morals or ethics yeah. and you don't know what they've been trained in. I mean, so many times I read stories in the headlines about these companies that did stuff and you're just like, how could they do that to people? And it's just like, you know, and everyone just sort of went along with it in these companies. Yeah. And it's like, uh, did no one stop to say, Hey, because I think they must've had a culture where you don't question people. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always like, if people think I'm off my rocker as a leader or boss, I want them to tell me because I'm not an expert. They know stuff that I don't know. Yeah. Peter, um, I, li I like what you said about in at least one or more situations where you didn't realize it was as bad as it was until after you left. And I think that's many people's situation. They realize it. It's like, you know, they're in the pot of boiling water, but when they get in, it's tepid and then it just gets, it continues and continues. And then we're like, what is happening here? And it gets so bad that you have to get out. Mm -hmm. Of course, sooner we see something that's going south, the sooner we can address it, correct it, start making a plan so that it doesn't spiral. I mean, de-escalation is really the name of the game when it comes to conflict. 
that I've talked to many people who, and myself included, that when you're in it, you don't see it. You just mm. know that something is wrong. And a lot of times you know it because your health suffers, your mental health, your physical health. Uh, you're talking to your partner and driving them crazy. You're being driven crazy. And you you just don't understand what's happening. And, and that happens to so many of us. But the sooner we can stop and find a mentor, stop talk to somebody and get perspective, then the better we're going to be. And we'll have more choices, as you said, available, more choices. And a lot of times the, a lot of workplace conflict that I've seen is just, it's so minor. It's like, you know, what cubicle you have. I mean, I've seen like some almost physical altercation start newsrooms over chairs. Don't mess with chairs and newsrooms. It gets brutal. I mean, we're all laughing, but Again, someone that was their currency was that chair. And you all laugh. You're probably laughing listening to this podcast right now, but it's true. I mean, you don't know what someone's currency is. Some people like more vacation time. They're really ambivalent about the pay, but it's their vacation time or their flexibility, you know, to like come and go as they want. Um, It's find out what everyone's little hot buttons or currency is. Um, again, the, the old saying, you never know what somewhere someone's coming from. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it isn't you. Yeah. It isn't you. And you take everything personally. It's always about me. No, you don't know if they have a spouse who was just diagnosed with cancer or do you have a, they have a child who is having problems at school and what they're having to deal with. So if someone is not as happy or cheery as you may think they should be, You know, I mean, it's just always realize there's always more to the story with someone. And again, you don't need to be best buddies with everyone at work. I mean, I just, as much as I tell people that, I mean, it's nice when you like everyone, that's a very, and again, those situations rarely happen. I can count, you know, maybe one or two times in my almost 30 years, you said that, that where I've had, like, everything was clicking. This was just perfect. Other time it's like, Hey, this is working. You know, it's like, you know, again, it is a job. You know, that's yeah. why we're here. Would we be doing this if we weren't getting a paycheck? Yeah. Peter, I appreciate what you said about the chair situation. I thought you were going to say people are so petty, but you said instead currency. And I think a lot with conflict resolution is recognizing that people have different values. And what I might think is petty it's irrelevant if it really matters to them. And if I call what matters to you, your chair petty, it's going to get in the way and escalate the situation. And now that person feels disrespected. And I think that person's crazy. And now that person's irrational, right? And now we are blowing up over like currency. Like it goes back to what you said before, understanding, listening, learning. And I think that is respect. Mm-hmm. I love that currency instead of pettiness. That is saying, this is what matters to you. It doesn't matter if it matters to me, but you're a person and you have value. And if this matters to you, let's deal with it. Now, I don't mm-hmm. think that we need to, you know, get all uh, upset and yell about chairs, but of course that probably means something else is going around. But if we can give that grace to others and really, like you said, that's that's knowing people, that's a sense of belonging and people feeling heard. And if it really matters to me and somebody says, oh, that matters to you. Okay. Then let's do that. Oh my gosh. Talk about workplace satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I love that, Peter. Thanks. I'm going to um, take that. Well, it's funny. I had to learn that somebody, I can't remember who taught me that, but um, 
you know, it's like, what's important to people. I mean, some people that business card, I mean, you all laugh, you can buy a pack of 500 for 30 bucks, but they wanted business cards. That was so important to them for whatever reason. I mean, they would have probably taken $5,000 less in pay if they got business cards. Some people love a great title, you know, um, and, you know, titles to me are sort of irrelevant. Um, it's always what you do. I mean, it's always, I've got to have a passion for what I do. And when I don't have that passion, then I'm like trying to figure out what I should do next. But also people have a preferred way of communicating. And I am so blunt. I always say, what's the best way to follow up with you? Some people are texters. Some people are not texters. Some people are emailers. Some people are phone call only. And during what times? I just, I'd like to get specific because there's so many ways. Some people like to communicate via Facebook Messenger. I had one company that was trying to do, they, it was like they always they tried Slack for a little bit, you know? Oh yes, this is going to be great. And no one used it. But, you know, it's you, you got to find out how people, because like, oh my gosh, they never call me back. Oh, well, they're big texters. And then if you start texting, then you're communicating. Yeah. Um, but no matter the form of communication, remember it's work. Will I say I've never gossiped or said anything inappropriate? No, I've always made mistakes, but don't be putting that in emails or texts. Don't be, you know, if it's not something that you want put on television and broadcast for by the Kardashians, don't put it in any type of form. Because there could be workplace lawsuits or something. And then all of that comes out. It yeah. all comes out. And you don't know what's being hacked today. I mean, the I mean, you go back to one presidential campaign. They had all the, the WikiLeaks and someone was hacking into something. And all these private emails were being released. You just never know. Yeah. And, and you just, you know, keep it basic. Yeah. You know, what, what, you know, hey, trying to sit up, you know. Oh, my gosh. Did you see what someone so was wearing? Nope. Don't, don't play into that game. Yeah. I think that we all need help to be good. I am an optimist about people and human nature. I think people are, are typically good, but I think we also need help sometimes. And so mm -hmm. I think if you know, and I a hundred percent agree with what you've said, if you know that that other person could hear it or see it or read it, and you're not okay with that, or that's going to cause friction, or that's showing that you're being disrespectful, don't do it. Don't do yeah. it because that might happen mm -hmm. and it has happened. And that does yeah. cause lawsuits and does cause unnecessary conflict when mm -hmm. we treat other people with disdain. Yeah. Um, one of my best bosses, owner of a former company I was at, he felt that he had been stabbed in the back one time where a subordinate of his went over his head to corporate and uh, whatever was the problem, he was never made aware of until they came in to fire him. Mm -hmm. And so he really felt betrayed. And he told me, I will never do that to my team. If there's anyone who has a problem, let's sit down at a table and talk it out. And that, some people don't want to do that, but he forces it because you have to look at your person and say, here's what you're doing that I don't think is right or that is harmful or not good for me or whatever. For some people that is so uncomfortable. They hate yeah. to do that. Yeah. They would prefer to go to corporate or call a 1-800 number or send an email, but having the courage, the um, maturity to verbalize what somebody has done that is hurting you or is hurting the company, um, you need to bring people in. And I do that where somebody's like, they're doing this. 
blah, 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 blah. Okay, we'll get you. Let's get a meeting together. Three of us, we can get together and figure it out. Yeah. You know, and I feel like then, you know, I'm sort of playing Dr. Phil, but um, that's sort of what the job is. I, I need these people to be happy, productive, respectful of each other um, because we all have a job to do. And if this is preventing them from doing their jobs, let's talk about it. Yeah. I'm not always Dr. Phil, but it's like sometimes you need a third person, an outside person to sort of say, well, here's what I'm seeing. Because again, when you're in a bad situation, sometimes you don't know how bad it is. Yeah. When you're in a work situation, sometimes it's good to have that, you know, where you talk to a friend outside work and just like, here's the situation. What do you think? Am I not seeing something, you know, because you're in it, you're in the thick of it. Yeah. You know, you need somebody to look at it from a different perspective and, and give you some ideas. So here you are, you have worked all these different places and different locations and different jobs. And when you think about the world of work into the future, what do you think that we could do to help people flourish? So I think the basic, uh, everyone should be treated with dignity and respect. That's a baseline, but we want more than that. We want people to thrive and flourish. Mm -hmm. So this is the question I'd like to end on, on this I, podcast. What, what yeah, do you think that I could think be? I think the future has to be, you know, not only respectful, but we don't know what we don't know already. I mean, we all see the things about um, AI and we were playing around with them at work and I write me an email about soliciting donors for West Tennessee PBS. Within five seconds, it had written an email about asking people to give money to West Tennessee PBS. I mean, scarily, it was pretty good. I mean, there were a few things, but write me an on-air commercial to promote giving money. It's like, it would do it. And then I just saw something about now they're ready with real live avatar people. That's like really super scary because those are things that I have made money on. I've made money writing scripts, you know, and you think I went to college, I learned to write and now a computer can do that. But think back to people that worked uh, at a factory that were replaced by a robot. That's exactly probably how they felt. I've made a living and was proud of what I did and now it's being done by a robot. I think we need to never think your job can't be done by a machine. Never think that. Technology is moving way too fast. So we have to continually be a learner. And I think the place of work needs to be that, um, you know, oh, do you have education reimbursement? I think that needs to be as important as healthcare. And that needs to be a benefit of work because you need to continually be training your employees so they can adapt to this new world and they're not doing that. Mm. We need to encourage people to continue to be a learner in learning new skills because what, you know, I think typing, and you probably can't see this, I'm holding up a keyboard. That's the one skill that my mom made all of her kids take in high school was typing. This was before keyboarding. I taught was taught on a Selectric. And to this day, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're a great typer. It's because my mom made all of us take it. I mean, my brother teaches physical education. My sister's retired now, but she worked in um, fundraising, you know, continue to learn. And if your company's not going to do it or make that a part of their thing, take that upon yourself. What different organizations can you join? they talk about having a mentor. That's great. There's always my, my spouse. I'm just always, always learning. I mean, 
from making jewelry at one place. We'll always be finding things to do and learn to keep that creative spirit going. My first time uh, going back to school was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Below the company had a great education reimbursement. And I was taking courses at the University of Oklahoma in the Tulsa campus on human relations. It, you know, I, you know, learned about, you know, sexism and homophobia, and we learned about international human relations. I wasn't going to be like an HR person, but the classes sounded interesting. And then I also, they paid, I think it was like 2000 for like a mini MBA seminar. So they like crammed all this stuff in an MBA into six months. And that was fascinating. And then when I worked at Disney, they had a great reimbursement program. And I wanted to get my MBA, but then somebody, when I was going, said, have you thought about a master's of organizational leadership? And it was at Woodbury University, which was 10 minutes from the Disney campus. So I thought, well, that's easy. And it was great. You know, always be learning. And I, I was, I was going to start doing my doctorate, you know, looking at that. And I'm not, that's not out of the realm of the possibilities. Always be learning. Never think, oh, I've learned that I'm done. And I know when you're right out of college, you're sick. I had to take that. I can't write another paper to save my life or another group project. But um, you'll get to the point where never rest on what you've learned because what you've learned is going to become outdated. Become a student of learning. I love that. You know, we talk about growth mindset, but th- what is that? It's constantly being willing and open to learn. That's a wonderful yeah. answer. And I think that needs to be a benefit. You need to ask every place you're interviewing with, what is your, um, you know, maybe they don't do an education reimbursement, but you allow time off to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, are there any corporate things in the company and how flexible are your supervisors to allow you time to do that? Um, because if they made learning and training in lifetime education a part of a benefit, a lot of companies would be better off. Yeah. And I think their employees would be happier too. You could right. retain them. Right. Um, so <laughs> slow down, breathe. Yeah. In TV, especially newscast producing, everything's like, I mean, it's live television and everything's a deadline because the news starts at six o'clock, not 601. Everything is that really, and you things can get very stressful. Remember to breathe. If you made a mistake, if there was things said in the heat of the moment, say you're sorry. Take time to like, hey, I know today was really crazy. I just wanted to check in with you. I probably came across, you know, harsh or whatever. Just it was not my intention. Um, I want to see how you're doing and apologize if that's how I came across. Don't feel afraid to do that. And and tell people when they do a nice job. Yes. Um, a lot of people. Yeah. I think if people were more complimentary to their teams and staff, they wouldn't have to spend so much on raises um, because people just want to know that they're doing a good job and they're contributing. Um, and as a note to all leaders, if any bosses are out there, be as transparent as you can be without breaking laws. I probably am too much of it because I want everyone invested in how we're doing. So like right now we're in the middle of pledge drive PBS, my first one. So I want the whole team, everyone, mass control, everyone to see our daily reports and how many people gave to the station, because that's an indication of how we're doing and how invested the community is in us. But you need to get everyone bought in and invested. When there's changes in the industry, I'd like to share those with the team too. I share everything with the team because it's, it's, it's there. We're all in this together. No one's going to succeed alone. 
and it's we're all going to work together and so just be as transparent as you can when in doubt over communicate like should i send an email about this do it no one had ever said oh my gosh they tell me too much information unless it's not appropriate information <laughs> um a lot of uh people just out of college don't leave voicemails if you've taken the time to dial numbers and listen to someone's voicemail greeting leave a message they're not going to automatically call you back and I know it's generational, but leave a message. I've had to teach myself to do that. Leave a message, follow up with an email. Communication is so key. It is. Absolutely. Well, Peter, thank you so much thank you for the opportunity this for your time fun. today. Yes. I appreciate it. Well, take care and I'll see you later. Happy working. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Peter, for sharing your experiences and your time with us today. If you are interested in short one-minute videos about how to address conflict at work, you can find me on TikTok at 3P Conflict Restoration. Conflict Managed is fortunate to have many listeners who are based around the world. And I would love to hear from you. If there is somebody in your home country that you would like to hear interviewed on this podcast, please reach out and let me know. You can find me at 3pconflictrestoration at gmail.com. Drop me a line and I'll see if we can get that person on. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care. Take care.